0: The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.
1: Welcome to Crime and Justice Radio, where we talk all things crime, justice, mayhem, and the courts with expert insiders and legal outcasts. My name is Aida Leisenring, and I host this awesome show with Bruce Barquette.
0: And it... It, Happy New Year! First of all, I haven't, haven't seen you in a while. Uh, we haven't seen uh, the station in a while. We've been been doing the best of for a couple of weeks. Glad to be back at twenty twenty three.
1: And today might be a best of that we use some other holiday. We've got this pretty cool guest, uh, Joseph. Joseph Tully, deemed one of California's most controversial and successful defense attorneys, and he's come out with his second book, California, State of Collusion. And forget California for a moment. He basically makes a case that sociopaths gravitate towards law enforcement positions. So this includes police officers, correction officers, prosecutors, and judges.
0: He does does a lot more than that. He is irreverent, and what I I described him as or would as brutally honest about the system he's cynical uh he is um calls it like he sees it and yeah, so, he's a criminal defense attorney after my own heart sounds anyways. like your soulmate <laughs> it, 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 we'll, we'll see we'll chat with him in a little while and east see what coast he's to the west coast <laughs> so we'll maybe we'll open up an office in san francisco I, I like california to some degree so uh how was your new year
1: it was, it was great. It was so long ago.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, a while ago.
1: Better than, better than, than others, I guess. A lot of craziness going on. It, oh, it, let me, let me have a silly side note.
0: Uh, okay. Sort of. <laughs> That's what, before we talk about really today, before we talk about a.
1: murders, guns, you know, sociopaths, right, shootings
0: and all the rest. really
1: exciting stuff. Um, Go yeah, ahead. we're definitely going to cover the Idaho murders now that the search warrant has come out and everyone's psychoanalyzed it and tried to see what kind of evidence there is. But I want to take a moment to talk about Prince Harry. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I I tried to stop myself from watching the 60 Minutes interview last night because, frankly, I don't want to be part of that rating uh, game for them. And it's just silly. But something came up that reminds me o- about a lot of clients that I've had in the past. He basically admitted to uh abusing or using cocaine, other psychedelic drugs, marijuana, etc. and and drinking a lot, right? So, no big deal. That that happens to a lot of people and then hopefully they grow up or they gain control of the situation. But what's interesting about it and what somebody was positing is that he's here on a visa and immigration rules are pretty strict. I have two good friends that uh dealt with the same type of visa, and they ask you about criminal conduct, not just criminal convictions, but criminal conduct. And you have to be honest. So if he were to have said, I have never committed a crime, even though I wasn't arrested for a crime, and later it turns out that he did commit a crime, possession of an illegal drug, criminal possession of controlled substance, say in the seventh degree, class A misdemeanor, and he was found to have lied on his application. That can be, that can be reason Browns to, to revoke. Right, I, I, but 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 look ahead, right? Because apparently he was asked. I don't think I listened very closely to this interview. I was probably washing dishes. But he was asked if he ever plans to return to the UK, and he said no, or absolutely not. And he'll have to apply eventually for a green card and then citizenship.
0: citizenship.
1: And those are no joke. You have to admit. Uh, crimes uh that you were convicted of did you yeah, I did I mean i didn't admit crimes I was convicted of because I wasn't convicted of any crimes, and you have to um allege you ha- you basically have to state like i you know say you killed someone but you were never caught- caught for it they ask you whether or
0: not you've committed any right. crimes or engaged in criminal conduct
1: right so fine. Sure enough, I'm sure a a vast majority of people that have committed de minimis crimes lie on their application, but usually it's difficult to find out that they've lied. Here, he went on national television and announced his crazy drug use. Uh, And I think some of it was recent, like psychedelics for healing purposes. So we'll see. I don't think anything's going to happen to him. He can claim if it's an issue that he's rehabilitated and that he hasn't had drug use for a very long time, and they'll exercise their discretion, and let him stay in California.
0: Uh, Okay, he can stay in California, he can stay wherever he wants. Um, Not a big fan of the royal family. Um, Don't follow it, don't care about it, um, any more than I care about anybody else's family. Uh, But that's just me, I don't mean to. It's
1: like sports, Bruce. You know, it's. it's
0: Sports is cool. Yeah, actually, sports is
1: cool, and there's actually like a Herculean feet that athletes go through in training and frankly I think kids are healthier if they played sports and team sports uh, because it teaches you a lot about life and conduct and so maybe that's a bad example but for entertainment purposes it's like a female sport to watch these crazy royals Uh, slash aka Kardashians go down
0: uh, I guess so if you say so so let's move from silliness and the royal family to crime and justice
1: Crime and justice—that that was a little bit about crime.
0: It was a little bit about in, crime. In, well, in, my,
1: we, I, in I, my defense,
0: I, here, no, no, I'm not the—I'm def- not saying we shouldn't talk about it. I, I think most people are interested in it. You're right to go there. I just can't pretend that uh, I'm one of the most people that are interested because I'm not. But I'll—I'll I'll add this to it because this comes up in our practice a lot. We represent individuals who are uh, on the on the cusp of immigration either. Uh, people who just became citizens, have been naturalized citizens recently, who are have green cards and who have, uh, sometimes are here, undocumented, don't have any documentation at all, just kind of crossed the border at some point. And you think, okay, the person who's a citizen, you're no problem with this. And then we end up with the individual being charged with a conspiracy that dates back a number of years. And the, the conspiracy began prior to the point of when they applied for citizenship, they, citizenship can be stripped from them. Right. So your point is actually a great one, leaving aside the the silliness of the royal family, that if you apply for citizenship at a time while you're committing a crime and they you, can revoke they it. can revoke it later, and that's and a, a serious.
1: Good defense lawyer negotiates a plea that does not include does not
0: include that we we that we run into that regularly. You and I have talked about that with prosecutors that they can't have the cons- the conspiracy can't begin that early or you can't plead to that for just that reason. So it's it's a it's a valid point. My royal family notwithstanding, um, Idaho murders six year olds with guns. What do you want to go to next? <sighs>
1: Uh, the, the six-year-old with gun, I mean, there, there's not much to say about it right now, but it's insane that a six-year-old walked into school with a gun in his backpack and shot a teacher and there wasn't even any kind of confrontation, uh, but the, just that it could occur. Apparently we have very little information except for that the six-year-old, is he's been well, i don't want to say arrested but it sounds like he's in police custody which for all purposes is an arrest um the mom purchased, if, if it's not an
0: arrest i don't know what it is but go yeah ahead.
1: mom purchased the gun legally uh the chief investigator claims that the six-year-old put it in his backpack and took it to school now a six-year-old can't be tried in his, as an adult i'm not even sure he can be tried because he has to be found competent and i think any in most states any child under nine years old is deemed or there's a presumption that they're not competent uh, to stand trial and he's certainly too young to be committed in a juvenile detention center and I don't I mean without well, knowing look, anything the, the, I, I would never the, suggest the, that that would be the appropriate but the crime response. here the
0: crime here is not by the six-year-old uh, you know we've talked about this before I'm a gun owner the crime is from his mother right let the six-year-old put his hands on a loaded gun. Well, we don't. Let alone, we, don't,
1: we don't know what happened
0: there. Okay. Yeah, we, we know that the six-year-old got assume, his hand on a loaded gun. Right. That's all you need to but know. But let's assume gun, she was
1: careless. It, it, let's the, assume that for a second. Well, I
0: don't have to assume it. We know it.
1: Right. Well, right. fair enough. That's a good right. point. But let's assume for a moment that she's careless. Guess what that is?
0: Um. A misdemeanor in Virginia.
1: Yeah, it's a misdemeanor.
0: It's a. It's. It is a, a more serious crime here, and not, not only that. Um. If I'm the prosecutor, I charge her with uh, felony reckless endangerment that you've engaged in conduct that could cause the grave risk of death, knowing the risk and ignoring it. You leave a loaded gun around when you have children in the house. Um, you are engaging in conduct, which causes or r- runs the risk of uh, serious physical injury. And you know of the risk and you consciously ignore it. Uh, that's recklessness for sure, it, so I, I would suggest it's a, in New York it would be a felony, and you can't have you can't have guns laying around the house with kids in the house. We really shouldn't have guns laying around the house, period, um, let alone with a six-year-old. Just, yeah. I mean, that to me is just unbelievable. And I, and I have, I have- Then forged. I have
1: other questions, like how is it loaded? Was it already loaded? Why was it loaded?
0: Well, if you, if you have a, a gun for home protection, you, you keep it loaded, but you keep it secure. So everybody has different ways of doing it. You can, you can use the trigger lock, although those aren't always so effective. You keep them in a secure location, like in a gun safe that you can access quickly and you can keep it loaded in there. Um, there's, but you can't leave it around for your six year old son to take to first grade or kindergarten. I mean, how old six year olds are in first grade? I think Yeah. it's just unbelievable. So I, I, that bothers me a little bit. Sorry, but it does.
1: Yeah, it, it should bother you. Um,
0: Idaho murders.
1: <laughs> Here, I give you permission to be bothered. Idaho murders, uh, crazy, insane. So.
0: What, tell us what happened, first of all.
1: Yeah, uh, so four students, um, I think all of them were living in one house um, in Idaho. I forget what university they went to, in Moscow, Idaho, um, were found stabbed to death, um, and it not. Right away. They were found stabbed to death hours later. So the police claim the crime was committed around three forty five, four fifteen AM November thirteenth, but nine one one wasn't called until like noon the next day, which is odd because there was another individual in the house, at least one other individual in the house, who woke up and heard dogs barking and voices and some sort of a commotion, and she opened her door several times to check what was going on. She survived and she apparently opened the door the third time and saw a man approximately five foot ten, wearing a mask, dark clothes, bushy eyebrows, walk right by her, um and towards the sliding doors which lead into the rooms where The roommates were eventually found dead. Um, But then she claimed she got scared, locked her door, and remained inside. So didn't call
0: the police for hours. Didn't check on roommates. We
1: don't know who called the police. I don't think they revealed that information. But there was a lot of public pressure, understandably, to find out who did this. Who did this in this rural town that barely ever sees crime, let alone this kind of a crime. Um, and what was the motive and why would someone do something like this and police think they've solved that puzzle? Uh, they arrested an individual by the name of uh, Koberger Brian Koberger who Bizarre profile um, If I was an FBI profiler, he's currently a PhD student in criminology This is the
0: person who's been arrested.
1: Yes Um, at Washington State University. And uh, he had an an undergraduate degree prior to that in psychology and cloud forensics. He had applied to the Pullman Police Department and he wrote an essay. And in his essay, he indicated, according to the search warrant, that he had interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. The great irony is apparently they don't need that much help. They figured it out and they got him, assuming he is guilty, but he is presumed innocent. And, and well, walk yeah. us through the evidence if you can. Well,
0: I, I can walk you through some of it because we, we took a look at the, uh, uh, the arrest warrant and the affidavit that they that attached to it, which is obviously almost the most in, in interesting parts of these warrants is the affidavit. So what they have is, uh, first of all, they, they kind of found their way to this individual by um, seeing surveillance video Around the house at around the time of the murder, and murderers, and there was they fig they took surveillance video and they noticed a car, a white Hyundai Elantra, which they they had to like from looking at the videotape, they figured out what kind of uh, surveillance videos, what kind of car it but
1: was, but no license plate because but no license
0: plate, no front license plate, and, and, and so they they went looking around for a white Elantra, and then from there they began to get phone what we call phone dumps. They got. Phone numbers that were hitting off the area where the residence took place for, uh, around the time of the murders. Uh, and the phone number that he used did not, repeat, did not uh, hit on the area where the house was at the time of the murders. And one of the interesting parts of the affidavit is the the officer or detective who's writing it says that's a sign that he turned his phone off and more indication that he's actually guilty. So then they eventually got his phone number and got the phone records for his number uh, and the location data for it and they showed a couple of things that were interesting. One is That at around the time of the murders, he leaves his residence in Washington state, which is close to this uh, Moscow, Idaho, drives towards uh, the residence and uh, goes off the grid for a couple hours around the time of the murder. And then they see it going back to his residence uh, after the murder. And then the next morning,
1: this is the creepy part.
0: He's back. And this time his phone does hit uh, uh, in the area. Uh, on hit on the cell site that covers the area of the murder uh, at about 9:15 in the morning, and that's creepy because that happens if I'm not mistaken before the police are called so nobody knows about it it's not like oh there's this unbelievable murder let me go take a look
1: it's like he was checking in to see if police had been so, called or what was going so on and I heard it tell
0: a, I'll tell a quick story of a case I had that was a horrific murder
1: yeah but first I want people to know okay, that the so car can, was registered to him they right. found out that eventually man, the,
0: he owns the Cobra white Elantra has
1: a white Elantra
0: I'll, I'll finish with the evidence and go back to the creepy stories or stories of creepy <laughs> cases
1: so put a pin in that creepy story <laughs> (laughs)
0: So he um, took place right here in Suffolk. It really is a horrible crime. So then they did more analysis of his phones uh, and they found out that on 12 occasions, all but one were in the late evening or early morning hours, his phone is hitting on the tower that covers the area of the murder uh, over the course of the months leading up to the actual murders itself. Um, And (laughs) one time he was pulled over. And there's video footage of him uh, pulled over by a local cop for whatever, and they got his name and registration. The woman that you described who said she saw something weird, and this is its own strange thing, that she doesn't call the police, check in her roommates, or do anything for hours. Uh, She described the individual as being five foot ten ten with bushy eyebrows, but otherwise couldn't see his face.
1: And he's six foot.
0: athletic. Then athletic build, right. Yeah. So he's six
1: 175 foot. 175
0: pounds. Uh, with bushy eyebrows. We're, we're kind
1: of missing the lead on the evidence, though. They found his. No, oh, <laughs> well, we're getting there. We're getting there. They also
0: found a sheath. A, 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 what is it? Sheath for a knife. And there's DNA on that. And the DNA on that matches DNA that they got from his trash
1: from his dad's garbage. From
0: his dad's garbage that was dumped at the neighbor's house. So they saw him dumping trash at the neighbor's house, which is odd in and of itself. They got that and it matched his dad. So they have the familiar DNA through the knife and so forth. Um, But they'll now get a warrant for his DNA. And I think they'll get the one-on-one match that that's his DNA. If it's not, if it's his father's, it becomes even more interesting. Right. Um, But,
1: you know, know, I have to say, And and I think that really concludes the evidence that's at least public right now with the search warrant. All of it is circumstantial, none of it is direct. And what's interesting with the cell site uh, data information is that uh, many critique it as not being an exact science and not really being able to pinpoint a person's location, but rather Um, you know, potentially up to miles away. And also if one tower is busy, sometimes it'll ping to a different tower in a different location. So I'm not sure how much that, that just helps the rest of the evidence, you know, but it's not on its own. It's not that powerful or impressive. And actually the fact that a dozen other times previously he was in the area to me might say, forget the DNA, forget everything else that, yeah, That's why he pinged on that night, because he does something during those hours, <laughs> you know, he doing? has a common routine. <laughs> like for doing? example, what if I had a kid and I picked him up every day at daycare at this hour, right? right but he, and then there was a murder there and they're like, oh, Aida's phone ping there and guess what? She must've been casing that joint earlier because it pinged there for the last 10 weeks.
0: But this is where like he has a right to remain silent and he doesn't have to say anything or prove it, prove anything. Right. Everybody's gonna say, well, what the hell were you doing there for all those times, at right. well, late his, evening, early morning His lawyer
1: hours. has come out with a pretty strong, bold, innocent statement saying he looks forward to being exonerated. We really don't know. I mean, could he be a sociopath? Could, could he be a sociopath as our guest, uh, Mr. Tully who, who writes a book, you know, making a case that sociopaths gravitate towards law enforcement positions. Uh, Koberger here had applied for a position as a police officer and, uh, was studying criminology. And I guess, my last question is, does anyone get away with murder anymore?
0: I, 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 well, remember we had a guest on about a year ago who said a lot of people get away with murder. Oh, that's true. Right? We had the, the Murder, Inc. person or whatever. Um, but
1: if you want to learn...
0: Uh, look, I don't know if he did it or he didn't do it. I, I know that people are fascinated. One of our paralegals wrote to me and said, can we possibly get this case? I can't wait to see it. I want to be a part of it. I'm, I'm like,
1: scoffing. no, no, wait. There's going to be more evidence, people. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> exciting. Well, wait till
0: his DNA Until, shows up in the right. night seats, right? And that's that. Right. So, it, you know, it's a fascinating case. And actually, my nephew from Atlanta, at least that's where his parents live. I don't know that he still lives right in Atlanta or nearby, was uh, is was texting me about this thing. are you guys going to talk about it on your show this week? And I said, yeah, we will. So we'll-, oh, we'll
1: A lot of questions have to be questions. answered.
0: So we'll be back in a few minutes after some news and whatnot, uh, to talk to Joseph Tully, fascinating individual, defense attorney after my own heart. I'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to Crime and Justice Radio. My name is Aida Leisenring, and I'm here with Bruce Barquette. And we've got Joseph Tully on the line. Joseph Tully is one of the leading criminal defense lawyers and civil rights attorneys in California. He's been deemed California's most controversial and successful criminal defense and civil rights lawyers. Um, He founded and leads the San Francisco Bay Area criminal and civil rights law firm Tully and Weiss. And his work has included high-stakes felony cases from capital murder to high-profile drug trials and tons of white-collar defense. He is, uh just published his book, California State of Collusion.
0: Well, it, it's been out for a few years, but it's a great book. It's a great book. I, I had it over the weekend, and it's fantastic. I loved every line of it. It starts with... Uh, An intro or forward by Norman Pattis. Norman Pattis, for us local folks, is the attorney in Connecticut who represented the individual who, I guess, killed his wife and whose body was never found. The brown...
1: Yeah, the brown graduates who were married, divorcing, and so forth.
0: So, uh, But Norman Pattis gave a uh, great forward to the book, and he starts off the book by asking the question, why we fight, and he answers that question in part by saying, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me, Matthew 2540. Mr. Tully, Joseph, are you on the line? I am, yes, sir. Great book. Loved, loved reading about it and loved the, uh, loved the tone. Um, and our promotions for this, I described you as brutally honest and somewhat cynical. Is that fair? Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, I think brutally honest. Um, I think I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I try not to be cynical. There's just um, our, our, our criminal justice system is in need of a lot of repair. And um, I certainly did not pull my punches. No. Well, it,
0: it, well. here's here's part of the punch. One of the punches that you didn't pull. The sad truth is that before you are arrested, and you say in California, but really the book is uh, uniformed, it could be applied anywhere, certainly here in New York. Anywhere, yeah. Uh, you are already screwed. More likely than not, the system, the state, and the players have all colluded to rig the machine and ruin your life before you're even booked.
1: Explain.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's that for the last, you know, so many decades, um, our rights have been eviscerated by appellate courts and um, politicians have all run on get tough on crime, get tough on crime, get tough on crime, which, you know, every, everybody wants to be free from crime and everybody should be free from violence. But when all you focus on is fear in society and in giving into fear um, and you, you create more and more and more laws, um, then the system is going to uh, entangle more and more people. And we're at a point now um, where sort of the process rules over everything. Um, we, you know, judges like convictions because it, it helps them prosecutors like convictions Cops like dictions, and you know, criminal defense attorneys are out there every day, standing in front of the the train that wants to just railroad everybody. And you know, some days we we do our best to stop it every day, and it, and to stop somebody being railroaded. But um, it it really is an epidemic of of injustice in this country.
1: So. I, I actually agree with you. And I think that if I were at a cocktail party right now with non-practicing criminal defense lawyers or criminal practitioners in general, they would claim that there's this huge trend towards decriminalization, and they would disagree. But what I found so fascinating um, is that you you claim that, and I'm going to quote you, Uh, careers hopefully I'm not misquoting careers with power and authority attract psychopaths bent on imposing their will on others in criminal justice a cohort of masochistic bullies can dominate the vulnerable some bullies as bad cops some love to destroy lives as prosecutors using every advantage legal and illegal to throw the book at a defendant but perhaps the worst of the worst are the evil ones in the black robes impose their twisted views on and systematically demean our laws and Constitution
0: uh, uh, before he comments <laughs> on that I know we have at least one judge listening I'm uh, probably many uh, not him <laughs> he's the only one <laughs> <Good guy>. <laughs> <laughs> say hello to Barney for me sorry go ahead Joe
2: no no that that's a very valid point and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to address that so there are good police officers there are good prosecutors there are good judges and those good people involved in in that side of law enforcement on that side of the fence, the good ones are some of the the best people, if not the most incredible people you will ever meet in your life. However, the main um, court sort of culture within a, a law enforcement office isn't the good guys isn 't like the the you know the eagle Scouts who grew up and became um, you know police officers the 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 dominant culture are sort of the bad apples, you know, and the good people who have a conscience who want to speak out don't have that power. And right. so what I want to do is is give those good people, um, you know, a voice and give them some power so that when they speak up and say, hey, look, this is the wrong way to do things. We need to do things like this, um, that, that, that that we can gradually start to change the culture. Um, and And the same applies with prosecutors. A good prosecutor is you know just an amazing person judges um you know they're to to judge is almost between halfway between you know uh, being a human and and god no one is supposed to judge others right and so when someone puts on a black robe um they really take a whole lot on their shoulders and to me, the term judge is one of the most honorable things that you could call someone. I don't usually say the the word your honor in court. It doesn't mean anything to me. But when I say judge, I'm acknowledging that someone is giving up that, that human side of themselves to ascend to this higher level and to hold themselves to very high standards in order to achieve fairness and justice. But it's the same thing um, that, that I would say about law enforcement and with prosecutors is the dominant culture with, with judges on the bench isn't um, aren't the, the kind of people who are really driven by justice and fairness. You know, um, a, a lot of judges are ex-prosecutors and they're politicians, And um, people don't like lawyers, and they don't like politicians, and that's what a judge is. So again, um, I, I would just encourage everybody, if you have time, go sit in a criminal justice courtroom where people do motions. And you'll see defense attorneys lose motion after motion after motion after motion after motion. motion. And when criminal defense attorneys lose motions, our rights go away for everyone. And right now, you could talk to any criminal defense attorney and probably any prosecutor um, and probably any judge, and they will acknowledge that pretty much odds are, no matter what uh, a motion is that a defense attorney files in court, you're probably going to lose. If a prosecutor shows up and objects, there's, you know, high odds it, that you're just going to lose.
1: It's funny because sometimes I'm embarrassed to admit this. I watch Law and Order really is like background. And it always amuses me so much when the defense lawyer comes in and they like slam the motion on the judge's desk. And then Mariska yeah, or whatever her name is, like the police and the D.A. is like, oh, no, they filed a motion to dismiss. And it makes me giggle inside because I'm like, we never win. that, Like, we rarely win those. Like, it, at no point is a prosecutor threatened when we file a motion. Well, um Sometimes, well, I mean, no, but yeah, yeah. look,
0: I look and I say this to clients that, you know, I've uh, we've been fortunate to have gotten a number of acquittals over the, the decades that I've been trying cases. Uh, but I can count on a couple of hands the number of times motions to suppress or motions to dismiss have been granted. Those are rarer than acquittals, which tells you something. Um,
2: yeah, which tells you something. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're getting acquittals at a high rate. You probably know the law. You're probably to- <laughs> I,
0: I hope so. Say that again. I hope you know? so. Right.
2: And so when you file a motion, you probably, you know, like sometimes, like we know, okay, this motion, I have to file it because it, there is a valid basis and I got to do my job. I have to be thorough. But there's some motions, and, and that's at one end, but there's some motions where it's like, I, you know, I have to win this. I should win this. The law says I, I will win this. And literally, I mean, well, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a hyperbole. But if a my, my saying is that if a prosecutor shows up and can halfway articulate the cow jumped over the moon, they'll <laughs> probably win in front of a judge. Right,
1: yeah, yeah. So- and what? what also bothers me is is when, you know, you write these motions, you're entitled to hearings, the hearings are granted, you cross-examine a police officer, and at some point during the cross, he says something that's literally incredible, right? (laughs) And it's objectively incredulous. And the court, judges are so afraid to grant your suppression motion on that basis because they know if they find, and especially in like smaller counties where they tend to know the same police come in and out or in certain divisions. uh And, and I know, like I can tell, we can read people. I know the judge thinks what he just said is not credible because he also started asking follow-up questions because he couldn't believe it, the judge. Uh But yet they don't want to suppress because if they make that finding, they know that officer is going to have a tough time testifying in all the future cases or current pending cases that come before the court. And they don't want to screw over the prosecutor
0: or screw over, you know, uh, but the police department. Per- they willing to screw over the defendant whose, whose rights exactly. are violated or so forth.
2: Yeah. But, well, yeah. Let me, let me add two more layers on that. Okay. The number one, um, if, if, a, if a judge goes against a prosecutor, like if you, if a judge angers a prosecutor, A a prosecuting uh, office can start, um, we call it point six in California, which is like getting rid of a judge uh, because you believe that they're biased. You don't have to have a reason for it. And they can make a judge's life miserable. And number two, can a judge win reelection without um,
0: endorsement from the police and the prosecutors?
2: You know, right. you know, supporting them. They need law enforcement supported for, to win uh, re-election. Otherwise, they're soft on so, crime and they'll lose.
0: So, I want to ask a couple of broader questions. Uh, and you go go get the book if people can, because it really does. It takes on the system from the police to the prosecutors to the judges to the politicians to TV shows to the in- bail and the whole the whole nine yards. We could talk about the book for hours. Two two questions one is kind of a, a, a interest me you start the the book off with a quote from scripture and you mention god and judges i i, I don't know you uh, but are you a religious guy and does that play a role in your in your job as a criminal defense lawyer
2: um i'll say this that that my whole uh practice is very spiritually based um and and i you know i read your wonderful uh yeah, I, I it was it a speech, was it was it a running? It was a, it I, was
0: I, yeah, it was a talk I gave to a a couple of group, bar association groups.
2: Yeah, I I um I don't think that you can be on our side of the fence and not have a a spiritual view to it. Um I mean, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, every great religion all over the world, through you know i've studied joseph campbell i've read every book who and he in turn studied every myth that ever on on the earth, and some commonalities are for for great religion um it's service to others versus service to self um and and we we can talk we can you know listen to speeches by Gandhi, mother Teresa um read the bible um every great book you know buddhism um it all comes down to uh, being compassionate, and as as a criminal defense attorney, you get to do that. You get to suspend your judgment, and you get to exercise non judgment and even love and compassion to some of the most you know people accused of, of the most heinous things that you could be accused of. And and the ability to do that, I can tell people, is just um, it's the greatest feeling in the world.
0: Yeah, and so I mentioned the, you mentioned the talk that I, I, I sent on to you once I read the quote from your book, and it was, I'm not going to discuss it now, but the title of it was Criminal Defense from a Christian Perspective, and it talked about my own faith and why I represent people accused of crimes. I want to move from that to, I brought up the, the kind of the sociopath, and we have this case in Idaho which is closer to your neck of the woods than to our neck of the woods. We're
1: like New Yorkers. We don't really know what's between us and you in California, but...
0: Uh, I have a good friend that lives in Idaho, but I don't think she's connected to this at all. So um, um, the person who's accused now was looking to be a police officer, is interested in law enforcement. Do you have any take on it so far? I know it's early.
2: Uh, uh, Well, um, I do. Uh, A lot of people were really shocked that somebody who was studying criminal justice could be accused of such heinous crimes, but um, as I I cite in my book, um, sociopaths are attracted to positions of power, and that includes uh, law enforcement. Um, There's a 2013 um, study where uh, researchers asked um, career criminals what they wanted to be when they You know, when they were young and many of them reported that they wanted to be police officers and they were attracted by, you know, the the uniform, the badge, the gun, a fast police car. You could speed when you wanted to um, catching and pursuing bad guys. But it all has to do with exercising power over someone. And so I wasn't surprised at all that someone, um, you know, a Ph.D. candidate, no less in, in criminal justice you know, could be um, considered to be a, a suspect <laughs> in these horrific crimes. It, it actually comports with, with my knowledge, what I know. Uh, you know, sociopaths are attracted to positions of power.
0: And the, it, it is early on in this, and having read the warrant, it, it, there doesn't, a friend of mine, a judge who shall remain nameless, remain nameless, Uh, actually sent me a text saying hey talk about why why did this why do you think this person did this and that was the one part when you read the warrant you look at the reports other than he just wanted to participate in some murders there's no hint of a motive
2: here uh correct other than i i do kind of see um you know there's kind of a, I I know it's within the criminal defense community. Like if you work with a psychiatrist or, you know, psychologist, a lot of times they're a little bit wacky. And I just, I, you know, I don't, I think it's pretty common in society that some of the more unique people among us or kind of eccentric people, um, you know, have psychology and psychiatry backgrounds. And it's almost like people think that, um, that they pursue that because they want to understand themselves. And so the the fact that he at first got a degree in psychology, maybe he's trying to understand why he has these urges or these impulses and then to get into to criminology, um he's sort of maybe p- still pursuing that why am I having these thoughts of of hurting other people? I do I do think that could be an explanation.
1: Yeah, it's 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 weird because, you know, people again, lay people look at what we do and they assume that we're basically hanging out day after day with total psychopaths and sociopaths that have committed egregious crimes and when you actually practice you realize that a lot of a, a lot a lot of people that you come across are actually really good people, have a tremendous amount of mitigation, suffered some serious traumas throughout their life, didn't take care of the traumas, developed compulsions, uh, you know, in which they would react in high stress situations the wrong way, despite maybe overcoming what they thought were challenges and being successful in life. So there's a lot to it. But every, every now and then, and I think those times are actually quite rare in the practice of criminal defense, you will come across someone that is, you know, to your knowledge, a, a sociopath or a psychopath. And it, they're not crazy enough And I mean, like, schizophrenia, in that they um, weren't criminally responsible for the crime. You know, that's a a whole other class. It's just somewhere in between, like, high-functioning people in society, potentially even charming, um, marked with some very sophisticated mental illness that Got them to a place to commit a heinous crime, not have any remorse or not demonstrate, show remorse for it, maybe be in denial, and then maybe even dream of winning and beating the case. That is rare, but it's out there.
0: And look, one other, we only have a, a little bit of time left, unfortunately, because I wrote down a number of things I wanted to chat with you about bail and the conditions in prison. And you, you, you actually spent a good amount of time talking about how abusive jail guards are and you refer to this study that was done uh when you have students pretending to be inmates and pretending to be guards and they had to abandon the study because the students pretending to be guards were so cruel to the student, to the students pretending to be prisoners that it was causing real harm um mm-hmm. but you you also talk about the media portrayal of this and i look i'm i bet yeah, i'm older than you i um i'm certainly older than Aida. um I've been doing this for a while. I remember Perry Mason and the heroes when I grew up were the, uh, the criminal defense attorneys. And you, you Talk about the media and how saturated it is now with kind of glorification of um, police. I mean, you have about 50 seconds to do that.
2: Um, sure. Um, I, I mean, if you look at the programming schedule for most of the major networks, if you were to broadly... Um, lump it in, it would all be under the executive branch, which is some kind of law enforcement. And they're always portrayed as the good guys and, and who are out to catch the bad guys. And that's what we focus on. And there's even, I cite instances in my book where the FBI is paying money to the production companies so that, the, so that law enforcement gets a good portrayal. Wow. And that's been going on for decades. I didn't know look, that. Look,
0: Joe, we, we have to run. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Uh, appreciate it. I wish that we lived closer because you and I could have a beer. I bet we'd get along great. If you're ever in New York, please look us up. We're always happy to, to meet uh, new people. And if we're out there, we'll give you a call.
2: Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Talk to you next week on Crime and Justice Radio. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.